right. Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Outside the Studio. I am your host. My name is Tessa Tovar. I have a wonderful woman on the show today. Her name is Kelly Smith. She is the founder creator of Yoga for You, which is a yoga and meditation school. Um, she is the host of two podcasts, not one, but two podcasts, mindful in minutes and meditation mama. Um, she's also, a, a obviously, well, maybe not obviously a fellow yogi. So I'm really excited Kelly to have you on the show. I want to chat with you about so many different things. And, um, I also, I'm really curious. I'm always really curious. And maybe this is where we start about your origin story. Like what drove you to this path of yoga and meditation? How did you find it? Yeah. So I found it kind of the way that a lot of people find it, which is I initially found yoga because I wanted a good stretch. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I am a reformed Shavasana skipper. So I used to, when, I mean, when I was, yeah, we're talking like 14, 15. So like my mom would drive me to yoga class and I was an athlete. So I was doing it as cross training for my sports, but I was very much just a, I'm here for the stretch. I'm here for the workout. As soon as we hit that mat for Shavasana, you better believe I'm rolling up the mat and and sneaking out the door to probably go run on the treadmill or something, you know, do, do something worthwhile other than just lay here and do nothing. Um, so that was my first, I guess, dipping my toe in the yoga waters. And it's so funny now because I now pretty much just teach like restorative yoga, yoga nidra, um, meditation and like singing bowl type work, which is like long Shavasanas. But, um, so I, I first discovered it as cross training for my sports there for the stretch there for, you know, the workout. And it wasn't until a few years later when my mom was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer and I was her, um, primary caregiver that I had to really explore some of the softer sides of yoga. Um, she had just a lot of quite intensive surgery, um, chemo radiation, the full, the full gambit. And, um, and together we started to explore some of these softer sides, right? Cause we weren't going to go do like a vigorous vinyasa practice. We started doing just visualization or guided meditation or just breathing, like really, really gentle, gentle, functional movement. And that's where my eyes were open to. There's so much more out there than just like a good stretch. But of course I kind of um, ignored it. And I did use parts of yoga and meditation continually at, at tougher times in my life. And, um, my origin story does have a happy ending because my mom is in remission and she's still with us. So it does have a happy ending. She is now just like an A plus Grammy to um, our little guy. But I, I just, I, I honestly, I didn't really start to explore and teach these softer practices until I um, moved to a rural part of the U.S. I moved to a, what I call a one bar, one Walmart town in Missouri. And I had been teaching on the side, but working in business as my career. And it wasn't until I had to leave my job, leave everything, move to this place that I decided to finally take the leap and um, teach yoga full time. Mm -hmm. And it was with those students that then I was reintroduced to having to explore the softer side of yoga because they didn't want that hot, fiery, Yasa practice, right? They wanted to be able to tie their shoes without help. They wanted to lower their blood pressure. They just wanted to, um, you know, just be able to move a little bit easier. And that's when I started to really fully embrace 
the practice of yoga, all eight limbs of the practice of yoga and like what that really means to embody the practice and to teach it. And that kind of, that was the first iteration of yoga for you was in the studio that I ended up opening there. But um, yeah, that's, I guess the origin story. Don't you find that no matter how many times, and, and I'm sure Tessa, you feel this way too. It's like, no matter how, t- how many times you answer that question, it's a hard one to answer. Cause like, who, like there's no linear like point A to point B or, and I'm sure people do have a moment where they just wake up and they're like, Oh, this is it. This is the moment. But it's like, it's, it's, I don't know. It's just, you all of a sudden find yourself in a place and you're like, how, how did I get here? Yeah. Yeah. That's so insightful. I love that question for that reason, because we all have such different um, experiences and, and paths and journeys and they're really, they're not linear. I don't think it's meant to be. I think it's meant to be many, you know, something I was thinking about this relates something I was thinking about before um, we jumped on today and started recording is this decision paralysis that I experience in my life in a huge way. It's like a theme for me. So it feels like a big lesson. And um, as it relates to, to creating a journey or going on this path for myself, building a podcast and building a platform as a fellow yogi, a health coach and author, all of these things. I often find myself at these forks in the road. It feels like actually I'm always at a fork in the road and I drive myself crazy because I can see pros and cons from both sides. And it feels like an impossible decision. How would I ever make the right one? And so I always have this conversation about what, what is the right choice? And then, um, you know, that's very much like my ego trying to figure out, you know, all of the things, the accolades, whatever it is that I'm trying to decide. And then there's a softer side, which is like, well, maybe there is no right decision. Maybe it's just a, a series of experiences and you can't always see, you know, you can't always see the light at the end of the tunnel or the results of where you're going, but you're definitely going to learn something along the way. And maybe you're going to end up where you need to be regardless of whether you turned right or you turned left. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think I, I'm trying to remember if I've ever spoken to anyone who was like, yeah, I woke up one day and I knew like, this is, this is the path for me. (laughs) I hear stories about it, but I don't think I've ever actually spoken to someone who had that visceral experience of being like, this is how I decided. I just knew it was like a light bulb moment. So have you, have you spoken to anyone that has? No, but I think, so uh, there's definitely moments. I mean, I can only speak from my own lived experience, but there's definitely moments where like, I do feel like I was like, Oh, like this is definitely the point when I felt like inspired to do this thing. Or I I knew I, I wanted to pursue this thing, but to me, that's different than like when I actually took the action to do it. And I I think that we can sometimes be like, yes, that was the moment or that was the experience. That was the thing that maybe started me on this path or, you know, in that trajectory, but it wouldn't be until later or, you know, after having the inspiration, thinking about it, that then like, I would actually take the action. And I, and I feel like when you look at someone's origin story, like those are usually kind of two different things of like the inspiration. And then also like the action that then starts the journey. And so I've never really spoken to anyone that was able to kind of have like inspiration and action at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes you have to get the inspiration or be like, 
you know, cause, cause I did, I, I remember when my mom was sick, you know, we kind of had this moment and, and I was just kind of, you know, leading a couple like gentle movements and she was like, you know, you should like teach this. And I was just like, mom, that's not like a real job. I mean, I was like, you know, I was like 16 and I was just like, I was like, mom, that's like, that's so silly. Like, I can't just teach yoga. I have to like go to college and get a degree and, you know, check all these boxes. And, and so even if like, I thought about it, I was like, yeah, that would be really cool. But I was like, I can't do that. That's not like a real job. Um, it, 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 that doesn't necessarily mean that when you first think about it, are you been inspired to pursue a path that that will also be the time when you start taking those steps on that path. Yeah. Well, and I think it's an interesting, um, it's kind of parallel to my path. It sounds like what you, you went through the whole, it sounds like corporate America, you had a business job, um, and we're doing the part-time teaching. Like eventually you you started to go down that path. And did you realize this is what I want to do full-time? How did that inspiration and action turn into this, turn into yoga for you? Yeah. Um, it's, you know, as many things come, it came from a place of necessity and I, I was, so I did, um, right after I graduated college, I did my 200 hour teacher training. Cause I kind of, there's a studio in town, um, that I just loved. I, I really enjoyed. I've been doing a lot of like practicing. And again, like it, I was just sort of struggling in a few different ways as many are like, what do I want to do with my life? You know, you graduate college, you have this piece of paper and you're kind of like, okay, now what? And so I was like, okay, well, they're doing like a summer intensive teacher training like that, you know, sounds, that sounds great. I I want to do that. Even if I don't know what I want to do um, going forward, I, I want to do this for me. So I did my 200 hour teacher training, but again, I had this, like, just this idea in my head that like, being a yoga teacher either wasn't real or wasn't like, I don't know, good enough or like ambitious enough. I I had this like idea in my head of like what I guess like a successful woman looks like. And it wasn't someone that just was like, Oh, I just got this college degree and, you know, worked hard in this and like got this accolade and that. And so I'm just going to go like teach yoga. And I think so much of that was because I was still listening to a lot of other people. And I think kind of this unspoken thing around me was that I was like absorbing almost other people's judgments of like, of, you know, becoming a full-time yoga teacher and like what that meant, like, was that quote, like a real job. And, and then it wasn't until, um, I, my then boyfriend, now husband, he moved to that small town in Missouri. And and so I was only teaching classes like on the side, like for fun, right. I had my job that like paid my bills and I had like my yoga teaching that kind of like filled like my fun and like my cup and like my soul. And, you know, I always thought about it, but was never brave enough to like go against the grain and be like, yeah, I'm going to do this. But we moved and I had to leave my job and my husband was in school all the time. So I never saw him. I didn't know anyone there. I was like alone. I was really struggling. And I was just like, there's not like, there's nothing. There's no one here. I felt like just like an alien. Cause we were living up here in the twin cities and we moved to this tiny town. I was like, what is this? And I realized that after a few days of really having a pity party, that this potentially could be the opportunity I to do what I wanted. I genuinely had a clean slate and I didn't know anyone. I didn't have a job down there. I didn't have any friends down there. I didn't have, like, I had nothing. I had my dog. That was it. I had the dog. And so Mila and I were like, you know what? 
we can start this business. Like, I don't know what it was necessarily about that moment of feeling like I kind of had nothing that it almost gave me like the courage to be like, well, like what the heck let's, let's try to do this. Let's, let's start teaching some yoga. And so I just started, you know, teaching a couple classes here and a couple classes there, working other jobs on the side to like get the bills paid. And, and because my husband was in school and I was the sole provider for my family for quite a bit of time, um, yoga for you in a way was built out of necessity. And so then I started teaching more classes and teaching more and then taking on private clients and then feeling like, oh, I need to level up my teaching because, you know, I'm getting more experience, but I want to have like more knowledge. And it just kept going and going. And, and we moved several times. We've done like four or five moves in the last like six years. And so I knew after we left, when I had my studio and I had to sell it, um, the, the iteration of yoga that people are more familiar with now, the location independent yoga and meditation school came from the fact that I knew I was going to be living pretty nomadically. And so that's when I started my podcast. So I could teach um, my students back in Missouri, I could still leave meditations, um, but I could do it in a way that, you know, to me, a podcast made sense. So they could just hit play and listen to my voice and get a guided meditation. That's when I started doing like retreats, other places or doing pop-up trainings. Um, And so I think for many people, you kind of come up with not only some of your best ideas, but some of your, um, I don't know, most innovative ideas out of necessity. And so it's kind of at this, like, I don't know, sinker, sinker swim moment. And so I just decided to go for it. So in your experience as a teacher these days, do you get people coming to you that kind of have that same fork in the road question, you know, how do I know if I'm ready to do a a yoga teacher training or, um, that kind of, I I don't want to say midlife crisis situation, but (laughs) you know, like the, the conversation with yourself where you're like, well, this job is not fulfilling. You know, I want a career that feels more in alignment with my purpose or, um, feels more connected to the essence of my soul or, or something along those lines. Do, do you think that students out there are experiencing this and what do you tell them? So one little like caveat that I'll put out there is that I I do feel like the world in general is a little more accepting now this, I mean, all of this was kind of happening like almost 10 years ago at this point, um, that the world is a little more accepting of, um, people like you and I, that kind of pursue the unconventional path and, I didn't always feel that support, you know, like 10 years ago, but that's not to say that there aren't so many people that just like you described are feeling unfulfilled in their work or feeling like they aren't fulfilling their purpose. And something that I love to do now is to help people connect with their soul and to live from like their true self and most authentic space. And so what that often looks like is helping people identify like the soul's purpose in a way. And And I do try to tell people there may be a difference between your purpose and your profession. I think we sometimes think that we must embody our purpose through our profession. And I don't think that's true for everyone. It's something I feel very fortunate to be able to do. But I think that for some people, especially now, like that I'm exploring motherhood for many people, they feel like their purpose is being a parent or a caregiver, or their purpose is to, um, you know, bring joy to people or whatever it is that may not always be the same thing as your profession. Mm -hmm. But if you do feel like you're in a 
a profession, like you were describing somewhere you feel like it's kind of just like soul sucking. It's not right for you. Like I always encourage people to think about one, like, what are you afraid of and what's holding you back? Because there's always something there that we're always afraid of something. There's usually something that it's usually ourselves that's holding us back. And I also encourage people to think about um, like, what, like, what do you want? What do you truly want? And that's such a big question. That's so hard to answer, but it's so essential for so many things. Like think of like, what do I actually want? And I usually encourage people. Um, and I, I think many people can find this frustrating, but like, but what do you want? And I'll tell them like, I can't, I don't think I can answer that question for you, but what do you want? Mm-hmm. And I think that can be a really challenging, frustrating question for some people because then you have to go in. And so someone's, you know, considering a yoga teacher training, or they're thinking about pursuing being a meditation teacher, or, you know, even starting a podcast. I'm sure you get that question a lot too. Like, oh, should I start a podcast? Or like, well, I don't know. Like, do you, do you want to start a podcast? And I usually encourage people to dig a little bit deeper as to like, why am I considering these steps? And I thought about this when, you know, you're talking about your like decision fatigue. And, and I was just thinking, um, I don't know. I was thinking about you in particular. And before you even said it, I was like, well, there is no right or wrong answer. Like, but what do you, you know, what do you want? And I I think we often can be thinking about steps like D and E when we haven't even started on like step A. Mm -hmm. And so if we just start with like, well, what do I want? And you start from there, then that's like building that foundation. And then you can sort of, you know, continue to take steps down the road. Yeah. I love that. And I also appreciate the the connection with the soul. And, um, well, there's so many things I appreciate that one. I, I do agree with you 100% that our purpose doesn't always have to show up in our lives as being our profession. I think oftentimes we, I know I've been guilty of this so many times and I forget it. Like I need a reminder, my passion or my purpose in life does not need to be what pays the bills. Um, it doesn't need to be my profession. And, for me, like you, it happens to be right now. Um, and I knew that if I didn't try this, I knew 100% that if I did not try this for myself, that I would regret it. Um, so it's kind of like an experiment at this point and I'm enjoying it and I'm having fun and, um, I'm learning a lot. And then there are moments where I'm like, Oh my God, maybe I should just go get a desk job. You know, so oh, yeah. I don't want I know. to paint the picture that it's like all roses and butterflies all the time because it's a, I talk to this about Rosie. I talk with Rosie about this all the time, how it takes like a certain amount, Rosie Acosta, yeah. my other job, my other co-host podcast about how it takes a certain amount of grit and determination because in essence, this path is an entrepreneur path to really kind of sell yourself, I guess, in a way. Um, and there's just so many different ways to do that and not losing sight of the reason why you started out on this path. Mm -hmm. So again, that's like the other layer you mentioned, peeling back the layer of what's the motivation behind the why Mm -hmm. understanding who's driving the cart here, you know, is it the ego for the accolades? That's okay. I think that there's a healthy amount of ego, um, but can you stay grounded in it? Can you stay connected? Um, and can, is, does that come from this understanding or clarity 
and connection with the soul. So you don't lose yourself in if, and when, you know, the success or maybe the fame or whatever comes, you don't lose yourself in that. I think we see that, especially in this industry right now, at least I'm becoming aware of all of these people who, um, are kind of like these fallen gods, you know? Um, so we look up to them as teachers, we put them on pedestals and then they have these human moments where something like an affair happens or, um, there's some sort of manipulation with a student and we're like, it, it, do you experience this where it's like, oh, wow, wow. Is this whole thing a lie? Mm-hmm. And what am I even doing here? Um, and what do I even believe in? And so it's, to me, those are moments where it's like, okay, let's press pause. Let's get still. Let's check back in with the soul and understand the why behind what it is you're doing. That's how we stay grounded in, in our work, our purpose, whatever it is we decide. Yeah. That's such an interesting perspective. And I I've genuinely never thought of it that way. I think when I see like situations like you're describing, so a couple of thoughts, that come to mind. The first one is when I see something like that, whether it's, you know, like someone that's kind of fallen from grace, I, I try to, and I, I say this in a way of, of not excusing bad behavior. I think for many teachers, we do want to put them on a pedestal and, but we also have to remember that teachers are still humans and that they may be farther on the path in some aspects, whether it's their knowledge and like a certain practice or a certain discipline of yoga or meditation, whatever it is, they are still humans. And again, that's not to say that that gives them a pass for bad behavior. It definitely does not. Um, but I think that sometimes our instincts is when someone helps us on our path or gives us tools for our toolbox is to then sort of put them on that pedestal in a way, instead of saying, okay, well, they are, you know, I appreciate the knowledge that they're sharing with me in this respect. And and I do think that's where sometimes you can get um, in some tricky water when you really sort of put these teachers on a pedestal and in kind of this like, almost like guru realm. Mm -hmm. And instead of just recognizing that they are also humans and innately flawed as we all are. And they're on their own journey and their own path. We're on our own journey and our own path. And they may help you in some respect, but to also remember that they're humans and it's unfortunate, but they make bad decisions. Or if someone is, I talk about this a lot when I do, you know, teacher trainings, like if someone's doing something that's making you feel uncomfortable, it doesn't matter who they are. That's not okay whether it's, you know, your teacher or your student, you know, whatever that power dynamic looks like. And that it's important to remember that it doesn't matter if this person is your teacher or not, like that you need to kind of keep those boundaries. You need to keep yourself safe. You need to kind of keep yourself grounded and connect with, you know, what feels right and wrong to you and to honor that. And, and when you were kind of describing, you know, how you feel when you, you know, see something like that. I often kind of feel like those moments of like, what do I even believe in? Or like, you know, what is this? Is, is anyone, you know, like real in this is, is when I see a lot of people, particularly in yoga acting in a way that's very unkind, whether that's like, um, for me, I've seen it a few times in like working for yoga studios in which 
maybe the yoga studio owner is a teacher and, you know, they preach one thing, but then behind closed doors, like they're treating their staff a different way or they're acting in a way that is very unkind and very hurtful. And there's something about like those moments that really make me pause and think like, okay, like what's, this feels really icky to me, what's going on here and having to kind of reconnect with like myself and my soul, like what is living your yoga to me? Mm-hmm. And so that's where, at least in my life, that's, that's showed up um, a little bit, but I don't know if that, I guess there wasn't really a question there. Those are just my, my thoughts on that. Yeah. And I appreciate it. I mean, that's what we're doing here is sharing yeah. thoughts and experiences. So it's valuable. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about the tools of connecting with the soul. I know you're passionate about teaching different uh, modalities of yoga, meditation, yoga nidra, I believe is one of them that you're um, very seasoned. And I was looking through, actually did a meditation of yours before we started recording the um, releasing anger and frustration, which was so appropriate for me today. So thank you for that. (laughs) Yes. Did you enjoy it? You have to tell me honestly what your experience was like with that one. Well, so as usual, um, I I shouldn't say as usual. So meditation, it's just like our yoga practice. It's different every day. I show up to my cushion. I show up to my seat and some days it's easy to drop in and sit there and the time goes by and I kind of lose track. And some days it's like, I'm doing a mental gymnastics, not able to even hear the instruction. If it's a guided meditation, um, often I'll get halfway through it and notice I'm not even really breathing until somebody reminds me to breathe. (laughs) So, um, yeah, meditation in general, I think it ebbs and flows and it often depends on how I'm feeling in that moment. And it's, it fluctuates just like you know, the mind is always fluctuating. So, um, I, I love what you said at the beginning of this particular meditation about emotions in that way, not being something, especially anger and frustration that are innately bad. They just are right. It like depends on what is the result of the anger and frustration? How do we act on it? Maybe you didn't say this in particular, but as I, as I was listening to you speak about this, I was like, yes, absolutely. And there's something that need to be fully expressed and released in a healthy, safe way in order for us to actually let it go and release it. I love, I, I hope this isn't a spoiler alert, but I love the visual <laughs> visualization of the crystal. Mm. And that was so tangible for me to see and to change the color. And because I've been um, in my classes and my teachings right now, I've been going through the chakra system. I've been going through um, the colors were actually on the the crown chakra this month. So I focus on one each month. I'm noticing the crystal is very orange and and red. (laughs) Um, So that was, to me, it felt like it it felt very resonant. Um, And so I enjoyed it. Good. I'm glad I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I I always just like hearing people's experience. Um not because I'm hoping they'll say, oh, it was wonderful. I loved it. Um, but I just like hearing about people's meditation experience because just like you said, it, it's so different for everyone. And it's everyone like you can't show up, you never show up the same person. You never show up to your mat or your meditation cushion or your seat, the same person every day 
you are a different person. There's different circumstances or different things happening in your life. And so you, you know, it's, it's all going to be a little bit different and that's okay. And, and just like, you know, like I said, at the beginning of that episode, we're so quick to label our emotions and our feelings and have them either be good or bad. Like, I think we are so quick to do that with our meditation practice as well. Say, Oh, it was a good meditation or it was a bad meditation instead of just letting the experience that you have be the experience that you, that you had that day. And that that's, that that's okay. It just, it is what it is. Like the experience that you had is the one that you had and you were meant to have for that day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I so appreciate that. I think it's so easy for us to I speak from experience, identify with our emotions as who we are instead of this idea. I believe it was Pema Chodron who coined this for me was instead of this transient thing that passes like the weather, you think about a cloud in the sky, it's moving and changing shape and form, and it eventually will dissipate or turn into something else. So it's not a stationary thing and it's not um, a label that we can attach to. And somehow we do, I don't know what that's about. I wonder why we do that. I think it's just, (laughs) I think it's just human experience. Don't you think like we try, we really try to like, life is not black or white, but don't you find that we just as humans feel this pull to kind of put things in like one of two boxes. I find myself Mm -hmm. doing this all the time again with good or bad with days. My husband will usually come home and ask how my day was. And I've I've been trying to be more conscious of it, but I find myself saying, or he'll ask, you know, cause I, I, um, you know, some days are, are solo mom days where it's me and my little guy, we call him pork chop, baby pork chop. That's his <laughs> name on my podcast. Um, that was his name in my tummy. And so for his own kind of like, you know, anonymity, we just keep him pork chop. But, um, so pork chop and I will have you know, a day and my husband will come home and say, Oh, how was your day? And I find myself always saying it was a good day or it was a bad day. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been trying to be more conscious of that because it's like every day is an experience. And I think that, you know, trying to label it as good or bad takes away from the fact that like, and this sounds cliche, but that it's like a, like a, a gift. And it was a day that I got to experience. Like it was another day that I was alive and there are definitely you know, more days that I would prefer to repeat than other days. And some that are really just uncomfortable, like growth days. And then there's some days that are just like really comfortable and kind of like effortless days. And, you know, days are more, some days are more pleasant than others, but I I've been trying to really challenge myself to break out of this idea of, you know, not everything is like black or white. Not everything is good or bad. And I, I think it's just a part of human nature. And I don't know if it's like our I think it's our brains, like that logical part of us that always wants to make sense of things that is always trying to like categorize. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, trying to create some meaning out of what seems sometimes like meaningless chaos. I mean, you think about, I could go down that road if I think about all the suffering in the world, Mm -hmm. so many different perspectives, so many different ways, but I don't know that that's necessarily helpful either. Not that I want to bury my head in the sand about suffering, but I think there's a certain point where you do the best you can and that has to be enough, you know? Yeah. And I think to embrace like that, there's an element of, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. I think about this a lot with suffering, but also with parenting, because that's something that's like, 
on the forefront of my mind is like, we're all just trying our best with what we have. And, and I, I, I try to just, I guess, embrace that. And and sometimes I find that the world of parenting can be one that can be hard and um, a little judgmental in a way, like a lot of people have a lot of opinions of just the parenting choices that you make. And there's always someone you can pick any kind of parenting topic and any parents, you know, listening, I'm sure no matter what you do, um, people will have opinions either pro or against. And a lot of people feel very strongly that what they did with their children was the right way. And I try to remember that one, you don't know what you don't know. And also like, we're all just trying our best with what we have. And like, we're all trying to just raise our kids the best we can with the knowledge that we have. Um, but there's definitely a component of, there may be something that we don't know yet that may change our perspective on something, or maybe we just haven't gotten far enough on our journey or enough education, or we just aren't there yet where we can fully understand. And to me, that's, in my own life, I try to keep that perspective, but I also find it somewhat frustrating sometimes because we kind of have this element of like, okay, well, when, like, I want to understand, I want to keep growing. I want to keep evolving. I want to do better, be better. Um, and I, I do think that there's an element just in our lives of patience that we have to appreciate in a way. Yeah. Patience is a tough one for me. <laughs> it's, I mean, well, it's hard. Hearing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm airing it's, out all my dirty laundry today, <laughs> but I mean, patience is really yes. patience. And, and I think like silence is really hard. And also like mm-hmm. sitting with discomfort is really hard. Mm-hmm. And there are parts of life that are very uncomfortable. Yeah. And we sometimes just have to exist in those uncomfortable places. Yeah. Well, and I think it, this ties it back to the conversation of yoga, these tools, meditation, nidra, um, the eight limbs, the idea of asana to prepare for meditation really relates to how do we create, um, how do we create the space for ourselves to move through these experiences that are challenging and uncomfortable and feel icky and feel like, wow, I need some extra support here. Um, I mean, these are the tools that I time and time again, fall back on. Um, so I'm wondering with that in mind, and also with the caveat that I understand you have an infant at home. So this is probably <laughs> going to be, um, like a different answer than you might normally give, but I'm wondering what your, if you have a daily ritual, um, or a daily practice of some sort that, that keeps you grounded or that helps you through these human moments, <laughs> you know, it's funny because I think many people would expect me to say like, Oh, ever since, you know, I've had a child, it's so hard to like fit these things in and, and life is kind of chaotic and don't get me. I mean, life is very chaotic. That's not, um, for everyone listening. You didn't see me, you know, being on the hot mess express train for a little bit, showing up to our call, like a few minutes early and, you know, plugging in my mic and all of that, like life is chaotic, but I have really started to embrace the small kind of daily rituals since becoming a parent, because now I want to not only take care of myself um, in a way that honors my body and mind, but I firmly believe that like a well taken care of, like for me, mom means a well taken care of 
child. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really easy to feel like you're constantly pouring from an empty cup. And although it does feel like some days there's maybe just like a few drops of water in my cup, like, and that, um, but I actually, and this has even surprised me is that I've really incorporated some more daily rituals and care into my everyday since becoming a mother, at least the last kind of like six ish months of now almost a year of, um, being a parent. But so what I like to do is, um, daily gratitude and quick, easy, simple daily gratitude. That might be putting my son down for a nap and just looking at him and just being grateful for the fact that, you know, he's there and and I really wanted to be a mom. And I feel really fortunate that the universe, you know, is letting me have that experience. Um, it can be, sometimes I have gratitude for the dog of just like, you know, you're kind of our glue around here. Like life is chaotic and like, you're just so good and so sweet. It can be gratitude for the fact that I'm alive. Like I try to just have a little bit of gratitude for something, even on like the toughest, toughest, hardest days, even if it's just, you know, I'm grateful that this morning, you know, the universe decided I, I would wake up and that I would have another day of life. Um, I have been trying to do just like 10 minutes of, um, meditation every day. It doesn't happen every day. Um, but I try to, and if I can't do that, I try to do like what I call kind of like a sacred pause, which is just like a minute or two of silence and stillness to just like, just be, and to usually really check in with like, how am I actually doing? What's actually going on right now? And so for me, bare minimum is like a moment of two of gratitude and like one to two minutes of silence and stillness to be like, what's actually happening. And then best case scenario we're getting like a 10 to 15 minute meditation practice. Um, and for me, a little bit of like fun and that can look like anything you could, you know, of course this is like for you and I, this is fun, like playing singing bowls or like, mm-hmm. you know, listening to music or being like, Oh, let's pull some Oracle card, you know, that kind of like fun, like woo woo yoga teacher fun. Um, but I believe that fun brings a lot of lightness to the soul. So on a best case scenario, we're meditating and having a little bit of fun with something, but on the really tough, wild, busy tricky days. It's like just gratitude for even just being alive and like a a one minute, like sacred pause. Mm, I love the sacred pause. Yeah. I love it first in the morning. If you're not doing it. So Tessa, you should try this tomorrow morning before you wake, when you wake up tomorrow, even if I don't know if you wake up with an alarm or not, but whenever you wake up before you look at your phone, before you do anything, take like, I mean, you won't be looking at your phone. So I know exactly how long it is, but like two ish minutes to just like savor, especially if anyone's listening, they like to wake up really early in the morning, like that it, when it's still dark, it's quiet. Like mornings used to be, I mean, I, I do still like mornings, but they're totally different when it's like you're wake, you know, when you get woken up and are immediately like, you have to start caring for a baby. But, um, my pre-baby days, like I wake up early, like the sun may not have risen yet. It's dark. It's quiet. Everyone's still sleeping, like just savoring that stillness, for like a minute or two. There's something about it. That's just like really special and a great way to start your day. Yeah. I think morning is probably my favorite time of day. And I definitely, that's when all of my rituals come into play. I'm like, yeah. And if I don't do it and it doesn't have to be in that exact way that I have my ritual, but I kind of at least like to go through and and do everything, even if it's out of order. And if I what, don't do that, what's your like, ritual? I like uh, to hear so, about it. Yeah. So <laughs> I, um, I definitely try to stay off my phone until I have read my book. I'm always reading a novel. Oh. Um, I love, I love, love, love reading 
I have that's have probably what makes you such a strong writer. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, I definitely feel passionate about it. It's just there's something about diving into a story that allows me to relax and forget about myself for a moment that I find so therapeutic. And I also learn so much. I feel like I've learned so much about the world and the way human nature works through characters in a story. Um, so yeah, reading is a part of my morning ritual before the sun gets up, before uh, before the sun gets up, before the sun rises and before anyone in the house gets up, it's just me and the animals and I'm making my coffee and sitting on my couch and the animals, like they all come gather around me. I feel like Cinderella some days, the cat sitting on my belly and one sitting next to me and the dogs at my feet. That and sounds so nice. It's lovely. It's so <laughs> it lovely even on a rainy day. Like it's just kind of romantic. Right. And so I'll give myself, even if it's just five minutes, I'll set a timer and I'll read for five minutes. Um, and then some days I have the luxury of like 10 minutes or even 30 minutes of reading. Um, and so that is my most precious morning ritual on the days when I'm really dialed, it is journaling. It's getting on my inversion table. Um, yeah, I want to come, I want to come visit you and like, please do (laughs) want to wake up, you know, at the crack of dawn and feature related diversion tables and readings with animals. That sounds lovely. <laughs> it is, but you know, there's, um, the flip side to this is that, so I've always been a morning person. I'm an early bird and I'm exhausted by like 7 PM and my husband's a night owl. So we've negotiated our lifestyle so that it works for us now, but for many years that was challenging. Um, and so there's kind of an essence of like, Oh, well, am I missing out on, on something at night? Um, I went through that phase and now I'm like, Oh, but it's just not worth it. I just, I feel so much better when I wake up naturally. And to answer your question, I often, gosh, I can't remember the last time I slept until my alarm clock went off. Um, maybe like three years ago, I just naturally wake up and I just love that waking up to an alarm clock jars me to get activated my nervous system a little bit too much. Yeah. So yeah, morning rituals are my favorite thing in the Sounds world. Lovely. Sounds yeah. lovely. I'm curious what you say. So I know you teach meditation often. What would you say to the student who is just beginning on this path and wants to create a meditation practice that actually sticks? Mm. I love this question. Um, cause something that I really kind of aspire to do, especially like with my podcast is to help particularly that person that just wants like simple, grounded, um, like real tangible meditation. You know, I, I think, um, you know, if you want to go to a different planet via meditation and spend an hour every day doing that, you absolutely can. You won't find that on my podcast. Not that I don't find that intriguing, but, um, one of my biggest, I guess a few of my biggest tips for people that are, that are just starting and they really want it to stick, or they're just dabbling is I always tell people, you know, I like to debunk a couple of myths. And the biggest one is you have to spend a lot of time meditating every day. You don't. So studies show us that anywhere from eight to 12 minutes a day is enough to get the physical, emotional, and neurological benefits of a meditation practice. So I always tell people 10 minutes a day, right? Just go right in the middle of that 10 minutes a day. And it doesn't matter how busy you are somewhere. We can find 10 minutes a day, even if that means like 10 less minutes of something that's not serving us, like scrolling on your phone or whatever your advice may be, right? 10 less minutes of that 
and, you know, even setting your alarm 10 minutes early, there's your 10 minutes. Um, and I usually encourage people to do the first 10 minutes of the day or the last 10 minutes of the day only because, and, and this is something that I deviate now from a little bit personally, um, because there's other, I usually do like the first nap time of the day, but for most people, the only consistent thing in your whole day is you'll go to bed at night and hopefully wake up in the morning. And so syncing up your meditation practice to like the one regular thing of sleeping, whether it's the first 10 minutes of the day, you wake up, do your 10 minutes or right before bed. If you really need to quiet the mind, you do, you know, 10 minutes before bed, um, to do that. And I find it's easier to stick to. And then many people that are just beginning, um, get overwhelmed by all the different styles of meditation and like, should I do this style or that style or how do I really do it? Or do I just sit and do nothing? And I find that starting with like a guided meditation where someone is just leading you through a short practice is one of the best ways to start building your own practice and gaining the skills to then maybe be able to do more like quiet contemplation or, um, self-guided meditation. Mm, I love that answer. I'm so fascinated by it. Um, the neurology behind uh, yoga, the effect on the brain it's, and the neural pathways. It's so, crazy. It's so cool. Yeah. I'm such a nerd about that kind of stuff. It just. Me too. I love some good science. Yeah. Well, and how does, I mean, do you have any more stats to share? How does meditation oh. change the brain? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> do I <laughs> lay, it, lay it on us? Um, <laughs> so I'll, I'll stick to my favorites. So my favorite. So in our brain, we have a part of the brain, which I'm sure you're familiar with called the amygdala. The amygdala is like the drama queen of our brain. She, I refer to it as a, she, I don't know, but in my mind, my amygdala is a, she, she's a little dramatic. And this part of your brain is responsible for pain, anxiety, worry, and stress. And over time, we as a species have started to get larger and stronger amygdalas because as we know, our brains can change this idea of neuroplasticity and the parts of our brain that are getting activated, being used more, get bigger and stronger. There's more gray matter, more mass there. Um, just like if I, you know, was really working out my arms, I would start to gain more muscle mass there. Same idea with our brains. When we are constantly in a light um, activation of fight or flight, or sometimes a larger activation of fight or flight, the amygdala is responsible for that fight or flight activation. And so when it is always like lightly activated, we have kind of that just kind of general little like nagging anxiety, worry, um, you know, stimulation, all of that, that will activate our fight or flight kind of all day long. Our amygdalas are working over time and they get bigger and stronger, which means when we do have a fight or flight reaction, it comes on like like the smallest thing can trigger it. And we get a really big reaction there. That's where you start to, we know that people who have chronic anxiety have a larger amygdala. So what happens with meditation or 10 minutes a day over from usually around six ish weeks, again, we'll say like, you know, six to 12 weeks. Um, what happens is the amygdala begins to shrink. It begins to atrophy and the prefrontal cortex. So the part of the brain, if you were going to like fit, you know, face palm yourself, um, kind of the front forehead part of the brain that's responsible for, um, like decision-making and kind of higher cognitive function, emotion regulation, that part of your brain gets stronger and heavier. There's also more wrinkles that, um, 
show up in that part of the brain because the more wrinkles there are, the more surface area there is for the neurons to talk to one another and for more synapses to develop. So the part of the brain that is responsible for pain, anxiety, and worry begins to shrink. And the part of the brain that has to do with concentration, focus, emotional regulation, and higher cognitive function gets bigger and stronger. So it actually changes not only the makeup of our brain, but the parts of the brain that are active. And another one of my favorite, I guess, brain changes is that meditation makes it so that the parts of the brain that are being used in like particular tasks, those that meditate, they find that instead of a more like scattered pattern, like what you might see if someone's trying to like multitask or is like a little bit distracted when they sit down to do tasks, they get more focused in the area of the brain that's needed. So it's like the activity goes from, you know, scattered in a few different directions to like, boom, really being focused in like the area that's needed for that task. So it actually trains your brain to be able to focus better and to like focus the neurological activity where you need it. Oh, there you have it, people. I bet everyone is just like, <laughs> okay, mindfulness in minutes. <laughs> Let's go, Kelly, guide us. It's, you know, it's really <laughs> incredible. And I think there's so many ways that meditation makes us feel good, which is great and wonderful. And I don't want to take away from that. But for me, and you know, it, it's always so funny because like I'm a yoga meditation teacher and my husband is like, an ICU doctor. And so we sometimes have like just some interesting like conversations and we both have like a really healthy appreciation for sort of this idea of like science absolutely matters, but also like, if it feels good and like, it's working for you, it's working. So I think it's important that like, there's many ways that meditation makes us feel good, but I also love to give the space and like the respect that like good old science and like neurology deserves, like this stuff is actually changing the makeup of our brains and 10 minutes a day is not that much to have like an actual brain altering practice. Mm. Kelly, this, these are, <laughs> I love this. Oh, so good. Well, I think I have my new year's resolution set. Uh, rededicated uh, meditation practice for sure, because the, the data, the science is there. Does your husband meditate? What does he think about? No, he's not very good at keeping a consistent meditation practice. He appreciates the value of it. And when he does it, it, you know, it feels good for him. But I think that, um, where he and I are a little bit different and you can appreciate this. Anyone who's been in a partnership can appreciate this. Right. Um, but it's just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. There's just a component of, I, I love it and it's a priority for me. And I think that for many of us, the priority to, you know, carve out those few minutes, it's just not as high on our priority list, or that's just not the way that it's not his first choice of decompressing, but I do think in particular, um, the type of personality that gravitates towards like medical school or more of like a type A personality. Like if I could gift them the gift of a 10 minute meditation practice, I think everyone can benefit from it. But I think if you're particularly someone that works in a really high stress environment where you have to be like on and make really high stressful decisions, it can be really beneficial, yeah. but it doesn't always happen in this household. Yeah, I can, I can so appreciate that. And, um, a quick little story. And then one last question and I'll yeah. let you go, Kelly, cause I want to be mindful of your time. But so when I was going through my yoga teacher training, I was, um, we were learning about yoga nidra guided mm -hmm. meditation practice in essence. 
Um, and I, I wanted my husband to be my student. I was practicing on him. So I had him lay down, get comfortable. And, um, I was reading through the script for a meditation and I think we got maybe like 10 minutes into it. And he was he sleeping. No, he, <laughs> so he, that's what my like mother does itch himself. He started oh. getting really anxious and activated. And he was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm going to jump out of my skin. And he like <laughs> got up and like ran out of the room. And I was like, interesting. <laughs> so I decided not to take it personal, but what I find this, this was my reaction to it is, um, because I can empathize with that reaction too. I think there are days when I'm so activated that the moment I do get still that all of that stress that I'm not paying attention to comes right up to the surface. And that is what I'm aware of. And it's Mm -hmm. a full body experience. And it's what, it's what your nervous system is asking you to address, to pay attention to. Um, hundred percent. And I was just, I was (laughs) I can appreciate that so much. And I was actually just recording an episode of my podcast and I was talking about um, silence and the power of silence, but also why silence is so uncomfortable. And a big part of it is because when you don't have the distraction, the constant like noise, all the stuff around you, and you're just silent, you're forced to just sit with like your thoughts and your feelings. And that can be like torturous at times. Yeah. 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 Especially if you aren't used to it, it can be just like, oh my gosh, what, what do I do now? Yeah. I, my husband would agree with you. <laughs> I mean, I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm just kidding. No, I, um, I know. there's, you gotta love those, you know, partners. There's something about partnership that it's just like, you know, you just, there's a little a yin teacher. and a little yang, you know, yeah. it's just, it's a part of life. Yeah. It's a balance for yep. sure. So final question. Uh, what is, what are you looking forward to in 2022? What's bringing you joy as you look into the future? Uh, so I'll tell you personally and professionally, even though they intersect a little bit, but personally, I think, I don't know. I just, I feel like the the last year has been such a year of growth for me in terms of figuring out like, what does like work life, what does life look like now being in the role of mother? And I, I can't, I don't feel like I never, it's been a pretty clunky year. Um, and I think that's probably an experience that a lot of people have during any big transition. Um, you know, my husband's still in residency. There's just, there's a lot, it's just been, it's been like just a very like beautiful, messy, chaotic kind of a year. It's been, you know, it's clunky. We're figuring out this kind of new thing, but it's also been, you know, wonderful. And so I, I'm really looking forward to, um, just hopefully having a year personally where I feel like, um, not to say that I have it together, but that I just, I just, I feel like I worked out a lot of kinks in my first year of like being a parent, but also, you know, finding my, keeping my identity as a business owner and a teacher and like just a woman. Um, and then I worked out a lot of kinks and so now I'm looking forward to a lot of the things that I've learned in the past year to being able to put them into practice in the upcoming year. Mm-hmm. And then professionally, I'm looking forward to um, returning to retreats. So they were on pause for quite a while because of COVID, because of pregnancy, because of baby. Um, and so I'll be doing two meditation retreats um, in 2022. And I'm so excited. And I think we're all just so grateful for the chance to get together again mm-hmm. and to have that experience with people and to travel and to 
it just feels so much more special now after the last two years that we've been through or a year and a half. Um, and so professionally, I think doing those is like the highlight. And then personally, I'm just looking forward to applying the big, big lessons that I've been learning through a, you know, a, a beautiful mess of a chaotic year, um, applying that to the next year. Yeah. Oh, that's a great answer. I'm so excited oh. for your retreats. Where are you going? Oh. So said- yeah, in February, I'll be going to Hawaii and then in June, I'll be going to Ireland. Ireland. Cool. Yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. Amazing. Yes. All of those yes. things. Yes. You know, a little, a little warm escape in the winter and then some good, you know, green lush Ireland in the summer. It's all you need. Perfect. What a lovely balance. Well, congratulations, Kelly, on your little pork chop and your year of motherhood and then returning to retreats and your amazing business. Folks, this is an amazing podcast. I mean, I'm sure we didn't get to talk a lot about Meditation Mama, but I have had the privilege of listening to a few mindfulness and minute meditation, mindfulness and minutes meditations with Kelly. And please head over there, support her. You won't be sorry. And Thank where you. else can we find you? Yoga for you is your website, right? Yeah. So yoga for you is my business. So yoga for you online.com. You could always start there, do a little, you know, click, click a little Google stock on me, if you will. Um, then on Instagram yoga for you online is my handle. Um, otherwise, yeah, wherever you're listening to our voices, um, you can type, you know, mindful in minutes, or if you are in the pregnancy or postpartum stage, you can type in meditation mama, which is guided meditations for that pregnancy and postpartum stage of a woman's life. So if you're like, looking for meditations to help you connect with baby um, and to kind of recenter yourself in that changing time. Um, you can find meditations for that there. Oh, thank you so much for showing yeah. up and sharing your light with us. We appreciate you, Kelly. Have a wonderful thank day. Thank you so much for having me.